0: When Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, "'Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat?' He said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, "'Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for them each to get even a little.'" One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, "'There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people?' Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost." So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. And when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. They also saw that Jesus had not got into the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread, and after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into those boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw my signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. The gospel of the Lord grace, mercy, and peace be yours from the one who is, in fact, in control. Amen. It was during the French Revolution when the mobs were rioting, hashtag peasant lives matter. It was Marie Antoinette, when her servants turned to her and said, they have no bread, that she famously replied, well, let them eat cake. It's an entirely different story today in the Gospel of John. They are peasants. They are hungry. They say to Jesus the same thing. We have no bread, but as you heard, he fed them. He fed all of them. Engages his disciples and even a young child who had been saving his lunch. And together, in an act of miraculous generosity, Jesus feeds everyone. We could stop there. That would be a sermon in itself, worthy of our pondering well, let's skip ahead just a little bit like our gospel reading did. After Jesus feeds them, he tries to get away for a little while, um, not to do chores, not to catch up, but to just rest in solitude with God. And he does, he does that. He has some quiet prayer time alone as the sun goes down. And in the morning, uh, however, he, he is gone and uh, The people there cannot find him anywhere. And it turns out that somehow he's already gone to Capernaum, which is on the other side of the North Sea of Galilee. And when they find them on that day, he engages that big crowd and his disciples both in an important discussion about bread and about work and about vocation and about what we call call. I want to make sure that you know the story, the whole story. There's more than 5,000 of them. They'd come not to get a free lunch. They'd come to hear Jesus. They'd come to touch the hem of the robe of Jesus. They'd come seeking healing and wholeness and reconciliation. And they're looking for something, and Jesus, Jesus gives them something. But he also, while he is there, when he senses that they are hungry, they, he feeds them. Those who once were hungry now are fed. Loaves and fish, baskets of leftover, stories of God, goodness and abundance in every situation. And they then assume that God is just going to show up in the same place tomorrow and do the same thing. But he does not. He does not. He does not. Instead, Jesus has gone to Capernaum. Now, here's the part that we missed. Here's the part that we skipped over in the gospel reading. The disciples took the only boat. Jesus had gone off to pray by himself. There's no way to get to Capernaum. So sometime after he had rested and prayed through the night, Jesus just walked across the water. Wow. And the disciples know that. The crowd's trying to put all of that together. How did all that happen? And when they find Jesus in Capernaum, they know that somehow he got across that sea, and we don't know how. And they are as confused as it gets. Rabbi, they said, when did you come here? They're asking him when. They're asking him how. But Jesus answers why. Why they are looking for him. Truly I say to you, by the way, that's a little code. Jesus is about to say something important. He always prefaces it with that little code. Truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw my signs and know who I am. You see me because you ate the loaves. It's not about me for you. It's about you for you. And you're only here because of the free lunch. Free lunch is kind of a loaded word, isn't it? So let's be clear about this, especially on Labor Day weekend. Um, That is not why Jesus came. He did not come to be the chairman of the lunch committee, he did not come to be a wholesale food distributor. He definitely had compassion on them and this world could use a lot more compassion on one another. There are a lot of hungry people in this world and there's no reason for them to be hungry but that too is another whole sermon. Jesus came for something more than that. He came for that, he did that but he came for more than that. So he goes on. Don't labor for the food that perishes. Labor for the food that endures to eternal life that the Son of Man is going to give you. Food's pretty important, right? (laughs) Necessary. We learn that at a very early age. That's what Paul's talking to the Thessalonians about. He said everyone ought to settle down and just earn the food that you need to eat. I remember telling my kids that very early on. You better start studying. You're going to be out there on your own pretty soon. Paul says that he has been modeling that for them for many years, working night and day, laboring and toiling, so that none of you have to be worried about me. And so here's one of the great mysteries, bigger mystery in the United States of America than anywhere else in the church. Every person here got drilled into them very early on that you have to earn your daily bread. You've got to work to make a living, right? That's a code of the United States. But every person here also knows that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us, not let us earn, but give us today our daily bread. There's a tension between earning and receiving. Statistics show that we are working more now than we did even in the 1930s. Significantly so. In fact, we put in more hours per week now than we did just 15 years ago. We're working more hours per day now than medieval peasants worked. Hashtag peasant lives matter. Hashtag minimum wages matter. We work more in this country than any other industrialized country in the world. On average, we work eight weeks, 350 hours more per year than our peers in Western Europe. We average a little over two weeks of vacation a year and much less, if in any, for people at the poverty line while Europeans average across all economic strata five, six weeks of vacation and it hurts us. It's hurting all of us. Less time for each other, less time to care for our elders, for our children, less time to enjoy life and friends. Everybody is frantically running around trying to earn, quote, their daily bread, but what it really means is their marketed vision of daily bread. And every communal relationship in our society is suffering because of it. Less time to know our neighbors, less time to supervise Young adults, less time to volunteer in food kitchens. It reduces employment. Make sure you get this. Fewer people are hired when more people work longer hours. More people are hired to do part-time jobs with less benefits, so they have to work even more. And overwork tends to give us less time to be informed, to read, to study, to discuss on social and political issues, which makes us more susceptible to one-line mediated demagoguery far less engaged in the political advocacy of the world we live in and I am just getting started but this is not a political speech it's a sermon less time for ourselves less time for our health less time for self development less time for spiritual growth and it's even hurting the environment in which we live more and more convenience foods and items that all end up in landfills the story today begins with Jesus pulling away from work walking away from his work. And I'm preaching to myself, but let me make sure that you hear this. Jesus does everything well. Everything. Jesus makes the lame run, the deaf hear, the blind see, the mute speak. He just fed 5,000 people. And Jesus, true God, true man, Jesus for God's sake. Jesus gets tired and Jesus rests and renews. And then, miraculously, tomorrow he wakes up ready to go again. And he does that not because he's a crazy man or because he's a workaholic or because he has no boundaries. There's something much more, much more. Jesus is inspired, filled with the Spirit about a new way of living, a new vision that's not somewhere way off in the future. That's not disembodied, which means just about spirit or soul kind of things. But he likens this new way, this, this new kingdom as a giant banquet table, a feast of great things where a great party is going to happen with all of your friends and, frankly, everyone will be your friend in that vision. Jesus is inspired by the Holy Spirit against all the forces that work against that vision of trusting and resting in a good and gracious God. Now I'm stretching it now, but he's got what I think we could call a spirituality of work. And I think we need that also. I think we need some inspiration. I think we need some spirit infusion. And not just on Sunday mornings, and not just for a couple hours a week, but every aspect of our life. I think we need some spirituality of work. We need Something more than working for more and more bread that does not last. So let's go there in a practical way. We're all gifted. We're all uniquely gifted, and we've been given those gifts by God in the form of skills and abilities and talents and passions and resources. And no matter what they are, we have been given them not just to serve the church, the building up of the church, but to serve the world, the world in which we live. And it's going to be pretty hard to have a spirituality of work if we never get spirituality out of this building. Frankly, I think it'll be impossible to have a spirituality of work if the whole Christian message has been hacked down to believing the right intellectual idea so that I can get my soul to heaven. Jesus didn't come to get anybody's soul to heaven. He came so that they could live right now. That they could work with passion and fulfillment right now. That they could be fed and enjoy right now and rest right now. He came to usher in the kingdom of God right now. So a spirituality of work would require that we somehow recognize that what we do in all of our life actually matters. Hashtag life matters. We're called, called right now to reach out to others with the love of God. That is our vocation. Parker Palmer defined it this way. He called it the intersection where the gifts God has given each of us meet the needs of the world. Martin Luther King once put it this way in a powerful speech. He said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, He should sweep the streets even as Michelangelo painted, even as Beethoven composed, even as Shakespeare wrote. He should sweep the streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, now here lived a great street sweeper who loved God and who loved his neighbors. Persian poet Khalil Gibran, work is love made visible for the world. I was in Nashville last month, a little getaway weekend with friends. Uh, went to the Johnny Cash Museum. To be honest, it wasn't on my bucket list, but the, the group was going, so I'm, I'm going to go. And to be honest, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, in one of the displays, you actually got to listen to Johnny Cash talk about his life. And in this particular one, he talked about his alcoholism and his addiction that had nearly ruined his life and had destroyed a marriage But in that same one, he talked about how he met the, quote, man from Galilee. The man from Galilee. And there was such contentment in his voice. And it wasn't this smalty personal Savior thing that everybody else ought to It was more, I have eaten the bread of life that has satisfied my appetite. And he realized that that bread wasn't just for him. It was for everyone and that it was his purpose in life. And he said this, to share it with others. And that made all the difference in the last years of his life. I did not know this. I had an assumption that, that Johnny Cash had been to prison. He had not. He did not go to prison. He'd never been to prison. He held concerts in prison because he knew that he could very easily have been there himself, especially if his skin had been darker. And he felt like Jesus had called him to share the bread of life with those who were in prison. And it satisfied him like nothing else Do. Tony Campello tells this uh, fantastic story I've never been able to forget. A woman um, comes to him, her pastor, and complaining about her son, her adult son, who was an English literature professor in a very prestigious university and had just up and quit his job. Just said, I'm done with this. Basically, just walked away from it. And his mother, who had uh, sacrificially supported him in this endeavor and had this vision of what success would look like for him, uh, she was pretty distraught and she wanted. Pastor Campolo to go and talk to her her son, and so he does. And basically, the son says, hey, I quit. That's all there is to it. I I had all there is, all I could do. I couldn't stand it anymore. I didn't like it. Every time I walked into the classroom and looked at all those students whose only desire was to make more money and to secure their own futures, I just died. I died a little bit every day. And Campolo realized at that point, well, he's already made up his mind. He said, well, you have to do something to make a living. He says, "Well, I got a job. I'm a mailman." He says, "Wow, a PhD mailman? That's pretty impressive." "If you're going to be a mailman, be the very best one you can be." And he says, "Well, actually, I'm a, I'm a lousy mailman. Everybody else finishes their route about two o'clock. I never get done five thirty or six o'clock." Campola says, "Well, what's taking you so long?" He says, "Well, I talk with people. I can't imagine how people on my route never get visited by anyone." Some interesting people on my route and they all know how to read and amazingly they find great comfort in reading and they know how to read and they want to share what they're learning and, and so I listen and he looks at Campolo and says you know it's really hard to get to sleep at night after you've had 20 cups of coffee. <laughs> How's that for like a spirituality of work? Don't work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures for eternal life. The food that Jesus is going to give you. Tony Campolo closed that story with this, and I will too. I was not surprised, he said, when I found out a year later that the people on his route had gotten together and thrown a party at the local Legion Hall for their mailman. Amen. Amen.